BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Welcome to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most, because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that I give them in a shade. Again, with your, Mark being Mark again. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's the thing about podcasts is when you're on the air, and it's like therapy, you know. If I can't talk to my family about this stuff, I'll talk to you, Matt, and all our listeners. You know, tell your whole podcast. Yeah. So, who are we talking about today, Matt? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. I'm your host, Mark Palmer. Today was another solo interview between me and the radical counselor, a.k.a. the guru of taking it easy. And we did just that. It was a fun, easy conversation with my man, Tim Grimes. And I feel like I'm going to be talking to him again in the near future because he really did vibe with my tribe and the the energy that I project. So if you're interested to find more about Tim Grimes, go to RadicalCounselor.com and check out his books, Relax More, Try Less, or The Joy of Not Thinking. But without further ado, let's get into it. Here's an interview with Tim Grimes. One of my favorite phrases is, start where other people end. I start with, we're full of shit. I live my life every day like I'm full of shit. What can I do not to be full of shit? And that's why I call myself a radical counselor. So initially when I recognized how full of shit I was, is the experience I described in The Joy of Not Thinking. Let's get real right now. Let's get real. Let's get real. Let's get real. When I say don't think, I mean, let's get real. 
Don't think, don't think, don't think. I'm not really talking about whether I'm thinking or not thinking. Fuck that. It's more like consciousness or whatever the fuck you want to call it is right now. Think about the, the golden rule and think about, you know, remember, you know, what how you judge somebody. If you're judging your relatives or your coworkers a certain way day after day and it's negative, that's a lot of bad energy there. And I don't mean that in any metaphysical way. I just mean that like there's a lot of bad energy there. And if you treat them more consistently well, you're going to see a change. That's the law of attraction in, in, in real life. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. I'm your host, Mark, rolling solo today, and I'm glad to have our guest on. He's a really interesting guy, a really radical guy, if I can use that word. He's the author of The Joy of Not Thinking, A Radical Approach to Happiness. Tim Grimes, how are you today, man? Very good, Mark. Thanks for having me, man. Of course. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you. And uh, something that we do on this show is highlight people who are living a different path. That's one of the goals I set for myself on this show is to talk to people who have gone outside of what society gives us this mainstream kind of current through which most people lead their lives. And I've always tried to figure that out for myself. Let's get into that. When did this begin for you? Were you, you know, a black sheep when you were a kid? Did you fit in? Did you feel like, you know, you had these ideas when you were younger or did it dawn on you later in life? For me, it happened pretty early. I mean, I was always, I don't think I had a traumatic childhood, you know, and I actually have been working with a hypnotherapist for like the last year and a half and I never did therapy before. And I thought it would be helpful to do as like a, just a different modality I wasn't used to. And, you know, like the typical therapist thing, like, you know, let's, delve into your childhood, like what happened. And like, for me, there was never anything I can remember, at least that was like really traumatic. But at the same time, there was like a fear of death from an early age. And then there was like the spiritual seeking very early on, like when I was probably 12, 13, I remember I got this big book of, you know, the world's religions, basically, like all in one compendium. So that started early the fear of death started early. And then like, you know, like the typical getting stoned in high school and reading Zen stuff, which is, which is atypical. Right. But like where I'm from, it was weird, but not totally far out. And so, yeah, I would say to give a short answer, it, it, it started early for me, but the, the journey or whatever you want to call it, or the anti-journey in my case. So now let's get into that because anti-journey I feel like makes a lot of sense considering what I've heard so far being this radical path. What, when did this like come to a, a head? Because I don't want to say it myself, but you, you said eventually you just felt like, you know, I'm full of shit. And I sort of feel that way sometimes when I go into doing these, you know, law of attraction and NLP type stuff, you do have to fake it till you make it. That's something they say. And it does kind of leave you feeling like you're full of shit sometimes. I don't know. Is that something that <clears throat> came from getting into the Zen stuff and kind of soaking it all in and then parsing through and realizing like, let's go into when you were kind of in the mix of it all before it really 
crashed down into that one experience? Well, I mean, for me, one of my favorite phrases is start where other people end. And I'm, I'll get to your, your question, but I start with we're full of shit. I live my life every day like I'm full of shit. What can I do not to be full of shit? And that's why I call myself a radical counselor. So initially when I recognized how full of shit I was, is the experience I described in The Joy of Not Thinking, where I was on this beach and I was 16 years old. And, you know, I, I had gotten into this kind of, I guess you would call it deep Zen spiritual stuff for a couple of years. You know, when I was into drugs, I was into, you know, rock and roll. And I remember I liked the doors a lot, you know, back when I was in high school, even though, you know, this was in like the late nineties, but still I liked the sixties music and this kind of like the psychedelic revolution idea. But, you know, I was sober with what happened on the beach and I just had this, this traumatic that was the trauma for me, you know, talking about trauma, like this traumatic breakdown, basically, where I couldn't, I felt no semblance of safety or sanity being who I, I didn't recognize who I was and what was happening to me. I was just scared, really, really scared. And, you know, when you get really scared, the good thing about that is sometimes you lose yourself for a moment. And when you really lose yourself, You know, that's when everything happens. That's when your words can never describe it. Okay. And the thing is, the irony about this in my case is that that was like 25 years ago. And for a long time, I tried to make sense of it, of that experience and of experiences I've had afterwards, trying to articulate it well. And I spent, you know, the last seven or eight years trying to articulate it well in books and stuff like that but you're always full of shit when you're trying to articulate it, you know? And the irony is that also I've gotten into stuff that when I was younger, I would have thought was just bullshit, like the law of attraction. You know, now I'm for good or bad. One of the authorities in the country had simplified the law of attraction process for people. But the reason that I'm able to do that is because I recognize how full of shit I am. So I, that's a very, you know, long winded answer, but you know, that's how I roll. So yeah, no, I love it. And I think you did kind of explain the anti-journey there because you're in a role that most people who are also in, you took a very different path to get there. I felt similarly looking through this stuff. I mean, a lot of people in the conspiracy theory research sort of realm, they get this what's called black-pilled, right? Where you sort of feel like... It's all doom and gloom. And the more you learn about the world, the more there is to be upset about. And I never, ever, ever want my podcast to feel that way. I've always tried to end it on solutions and give people hope and, and turn that glass half full, right? Instead of half empty. And it's always a, a challenge. I think one of the things that I've learned from Sam Tripoli, another gentleman I work for, all conspiracy leads to spirituality because when you have this moment, you realize like, okay, well then if this is all going the way it is, who am I? What am I? What am I doing here? And when you start asking those questions, you find answers. But to go a little further, 
you still have to have this moment of knowing that the thoughts and the words and the language that you're using to understand this stuff is flawed. There's error there, right? This kind of cultural matrix that we describe the biosphere through. And we try to relate these mind new sphere ideas to these things that are really just in our cultural matrix, this like language matrix that we've made. And that's one way of describing thinking. Would you agree with that? And and how does that fit into your philosophy on not thinking? Yeah, I mean, you have to use language. Okay, that's what we're built with. And when I was younger, I was more against traditional usages of language and traditional traditional usages of, of trying to describe things because I saw just how flawed it was. And as I've grown older, I recognize the power of as flawed as it is, this is what we have to work with. And even if we can't describe spiritual experiences or when we feel really good, even when we have trouble describing it with words, we still can do our best to use words to describe it. And there's other ways of describing it too. I mean, you could be, for instance, you could be using action. You know what I mean? It can be much more effective to use action to, you know, I always talk about, you know, moving your body. It can be, you can make a point much more clearly a lot of the time by moving your body, you know, by, by, if you push somebody, you know, it's a lot, it's a lot more clear what you're doing than if you, than if you give a, you know, five minute explanation about how the person's rude. If you just push them, that shows you how you're really feeling. But words are the backbone of communication. And I mean, there's no reason to like get angry about that. Right. In my opinion. And there's no reason to poo poo words. And that that's coming from someone who, you know, had a very, again, kind of like just this totally irreverent, style towards language and like what we say, because I saw how ineffective it could be. But again, as I've gotten a little bit older, I really recognize the power of language as a positive spiritual force, if you want to call it that. And I mean, that's why I got into the law of attraction, the law of attraction, the good stuff, which we can talk about later if you want, meaning like the new thought movement and a lot of the, you know, late 19th century, early 20th century teachers are really using this beautiful, practical spiritual language. So it's not like up in the stars. It's like, this is like God in your living room. You know, this is like God while you're doing the dishes, you know? So, yeah, I mean, there, I went again off on a spiel, but that's kind of how I look at it. Yeah, no, and that's why you're here, man. Go off on those spiels. I appreciate it. (laughs) So back to the beach, back to that experience, you know, I, I would ask, were you familiar with God then? Did you have a sense of God? Because with your just the statement you made there, it feels like, you know, that's a goal for you to, you know, relate to God. And, and I relate to that. I, I also have a, you know, urge to create a relationship with the creator, right? And to foster that and facilitate that. And I think I have without knowing, but let's get into that. Did that dawn on you then or how did that come into your life yeah i mean that's uh like i said when i was you know a young teen like 12 13 i was trying to find out about god by reading about all these these different religious works and i was raised in like a very secular household so 
I was able to kind of, you know, read about Christianity, but also about Buddhism and Hinduism and all that mystical tradition stuff. So when I was 16 and had this experience, all that stuff was definitely in the background. And that I, I thought I had a conception of what God was, but that experience, that breakdown on the beach showed me how little I understood what spirituality and what God was. It was like more of a, it was more conceptual, right? And then the experience on the beach and, you know, people have experiences like that, you know, all the time. That's like, you know, in Zen, they call it like Satori or whatever. And it's like, that's when you recognize what you really are. And that's really God. And that's when, when I say I'm full of shit. And like, when we use language full of shit, all I, all I mean is that when you recognize what you really are, it changes your relationship with everything, including how you use language. Right. So it's like it, it there, there's a depth there that is so easy to restrict when we use words, you know, I mean, I, to give you an example, you know, I, I'm saying I was 12 or 13 reading books about the great religions, but it's no different. The, the lady who wrote The Secret, she has a new book out. And I was talking to a few different people who are my readers who had read it and were kind of like, they didn't like the book. And so I finally was like, you know what, I got I to gotta check this out. This is too tempting not to read. And in that book, it reminded me of like when I was 12 or 13, they use awareness with a capital A, you know, and everything's got this kind of like, you know, when you're aware, you realize it, it's like you got to cut through that fucking shit. It doesn't matter if awareness is a capital A or not, you know, and, and it doesn't mean it, it, you have to. We have to get real. OK, and like that's what we all we can work on ourselves to get real and we can find out all these different lineages and different philosophies and stuff like that. But getting real is a daily practice. And it's it's like we call it inner work or whatever. It's just recognizing what we are. And that is something that is not shallow. And, and the problem that I see, you know, whether it's with like conspiracy theories, which I don't know that much about, but I know Alex has a very respectable viewpoint of it and like an intelligent viewpoint of it. It's the same thing with like the law of attraction, which I know, which is more of my field. People's perception of it is just moronic. Their not necessarily who they are is moronic, but the, their perception of it. And the same thing is it's even worse with like Zen and non-duality. This new secret book, The Greatest Secret. I mean, it's freaking sophomoric horseshit in terms of how it's talking about this stuff. Cause like, let's get real right now. Let's get real. Let's get real. Let's get real. When I say don't think, I mean, let's get real. Don't think, don't think, don't think. I'm not really talking about whether I'm thinking or not thinking. Fuck that. It's more like consciousness or whatever the fuck you want to call it is right now. And so it's not some sophomoric, oh, I'm aware. I'm not aware. Be aware of aware. This is this. I think that's from Deer Hunter. Robert De Niro says that in that movie, I think. This is this, you know? That's a better teaching than thinking, oh, I'm aware, I'm not aware. I mean. Yeah. Yeah, it's like I am that I am, you know? And, and you can, that one phrase I've thought about for so many years now, but, it, you know, it's simply, you know, you are what you are. I am that I am. Like, it is what it is. You know, these kind of. 
Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's great. I mean, I, yeah, that's so powerful. But the the funny thing is, I mean, that, that's like a perfect statement, you know, I, you know, and then people turn the, I am thing, at least again, like my, like the law of attraction field into this whole affirmation thing, like I am da da da. I am. And I get asked all the time, like, Oh, I, I have to put, I am a certain way in my affirmations and stuff like that. And how about if I don't say I am? None of that stuff is important when we get deep. You got to go beyond words. And I love affirmations, but you know, th- the best teachers of affirmations, if you study what they're saying, it's not just about the words. It's not about the phrasing. It's about getting beyond the phrasing. So for instance, you can just say a single word that resonates with you, like harmony or peace or infinity or whatever the heck it is. You can just say that. There's no I am involved, but it can be just as powerful, if not more powerful. Mm. And beyond these words, is it, would you call emotion? I mean, you're talking about depth. Let's get into emotion. Is that uh, a factor in this? Uh, You know, feeling is like, feeling and thinking are so interlocked. It's hard to say, like, you know, some people like to say, oh, thinking comes first and then feeling comes. I don't know, man. I mean, thinking might be feeling. Emotion might be thinking. Or, you know, thinking might just be emotion. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, no. I I wouldn't qualify it. Like, feeling is obviously very, very important, you know? One of my favorite teachers, Neville Goddard, he's got a great book called Feeling is the Secret. And, you know, that guy was not full of baloney. He was a deep teacher and like when he says feeling is the secret he's talking a lot about when you really feel something there's so much depth there that it can generate tremendous change in your life if you cultivate a feeling but doing that is what interests me it is is actually doing that it's not discussing whether feeling or thought comes first or what it's all, there's so much stuff we can work with on a practical day-to-day level. It's, it's doing it right. that interests me more than discussing like the different, you know, what comes first or whatnot. Yeah. So when you had this moment and you got real, what did you do? You mean on the beach? I mean, because you can get real, like we can get real right now, you know? I mean, it's the same, same thing, you know? We can touch it. Like on the beach, that was a very dramatic experience. And like most dramatic experiences... I was with my family. I was young. So my parents were there. My two younger brothers were there. They had no idea how fucked up I was. And then when the bottom fell out or however you want to call it, nothing happened, man. I mean, externally, nothing happened. Internally, it was like, holy shit. But it was more, again, you can't describe it. It's just, this is like, this is God. The main thing was like this revelation, if you want to call it that. I don't mean that dramatically, but this recognition that everything's fine now and forever. Everything is fine. We're all saved. Oh my God. And also this recognition that I do not exist. There's no I We're all, we literally are all one. And that's the other thing. When I was reading this greatest secret book today, this is an anti-book review. You know, they're talking all about this non-dual stuff, but then there's self And it's like, no, there's no self. There's an absence of self. 
the absence of self is grace. It's God, right? So there was on the beach, there was that recognition, that deep, deep recognition. And that deep recognition profoundly changed me, you know? And then I, you know, to talk about my journey, like as, as you asked earlier, like I would say the 10 or 12 years or even 15 years after that, we're trying to formalize how that happened and going, living at a Zen center, you know, meeting with a lot of different Zen teachers, then self, self-improvement teachers, non-dual teachers, which led me finally to Byron Katie and having the realization that there was, there was no process or no formal way of doing any of this. So to recognize what you already are, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no. And, and this is kind of, what I wanted to get at here is your story and, and where that brought you to. And if we can go into that a little further and expand on that for maybe people listening who don't know, I don't can't say I have a very clear picture, but I'm with you. I'm listening, you know? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, what I can tell you, so after the, so I had this experience on the beach, right. And it was kind of like shattering, right? Very profound, very spiritual, if you want to use that word. And then see what a lot of the times you read in books, especially accounts of this happening to people years ago, you know, that most people never actually met or whatever, like, you know, it changes their external reality in so many ways. For me, that didn't happen. Like, I just became like, I remember that moment. It was very vivid in my life, but uh, there were not like profound outer shifts in my life. You know, I went off to college after that, you know, I went back to high school. I went to college. I was looking for ways to understand what happened to me and to access that quote unquote state more readily into my life. But it's not a state is what I'm getting at, you know, and I I realized that at the time and I still was looking for, for a state, you know, just cause I didn't know any better and I didn't have anything else to do. That's what interested me. You know, I studied film in school, but it was like still with the idea of like articulating that state to people and sharing it with people. So I did a lot of like pointless searching, I would say in retrospect in, re- in trying to articulate that state, but the pointlessness, the being off track, looking for something that I didn't need to look for, turned me on to a lot of things that I wouldn't have found out about. You know, I went to a Zen center and found out more practical information about just how to live in a more day-to-day humble way than I had ever known before, for instance, you know, just by kind of looking for ways to access the state. But at the same time at the Zen center, I, you know, I asked the teacher there and there was always guest teachers and stuff like that. Like, how do I access like what happened to me on this beach experience more readily? And all those guys, they were really good teachers. And they were all like, don't worry about that. Like that just happens or doesn't happen. And they were right, man. And the thing is like most teachers in, especially in the law of attraction, they're like, you do this, this, that, and you're going to fall. This is going to happen to you. And, you know, like the old Zen teachers, they're really like, like the good non-dual teachers too. They don't say it like that. They're like, everything, if everything is already okay, what is there to do? Right. And so that's been my whole life. It's like, there's nothing to do. So what, you know, what are you, why are you doing anything? You have to do something. So what are you doing? 
And as I got older, like, you know, my late twenties, I kind of recognized the futility of, of looking in the way I had looked. Cause I realized as practical as some of the stuff was, I was doing many, much more impractical self-improvement stuff. Meaning I was trying to attain, trying to get like a state of happiness that was like too cliche, you know, like just too, like, it didn't, it just missed the boat. It didn't resonate enough. And, uh, you know, I, I shared this, I think with Alex, like, I was at this Byron Katie retreat, week long retreat intensive with all these other people. And I, I, I really, I, I love Byron Katie. And I, I thought I was like, Oh, I can teach, I'd like to work for her or like teach, you know, work, be a counselor for her, you know, doing her teachings or something like that. And after being with these people in this group setting for a week, I was like, I never want to be involved with this stuff again. And that's when I really realized that the whole spiritual materialism stage on on the stage thing is just like it misses the point and so since then like the 10 plus years since then i've kind of gone backwards where i'm very all my practice is individual and it's bringing out all these older teachings like law of attraction teachings and stuff in a very practical like how can i just feel good in my day-to-day life and just feel like there's nothing I have to do. Mm. What are better ways to relax and like good stuff just come into my life naturally, you know, and that, this has been the most gentle part of the spiritual journey. And I don't like, I say journey jestingly. I don't really think it's a journey as much as I said an anti-journey, but just whatever's going on in my life. But this has been the most gentle thing, like this law of attraction stuff. It's stuff that is just very, practical and humble and it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with god usually it's just like how can i feel better today how can i feel more relaxed and you can work on that constantly you realize once you get into that you know there's never an end to working on this you know like reacting differently to situations to things that bother you there's so much work we can do and it becomes pleasant it becomes like this is so practical working on just feeling better more at the time and seeing that like when i feel better other people feel better. My wife feels better. My kid feels better. You know, people respond better to me. My, my readers or clients, like what I'm doing with them more, you know, I'm, I'm helping them out more when I feel better. That's the law of attraction in my opinion. Right. And I feel like I know what you're going to say, but correct me if I'm wrong. Would you say that, you know, it's different for everybody. So like everybody's got to find their own way to do it. Right. There's no magic pill. I mean, yeah, of course, that's what I'm going to say, right? I, I like being Captain Obvious most of the time. Yeah. I mean, and furthermore, a, a fair amount of my work is just telling people that don't, if someone says this is the way to do it, don't listen to them. I mean, it doesn't mean that their way is not, does, doesn't work. Their way might work for you and, you know, probably worked for them, which is why they're sharing it like this is the way to do it. But the point is we all, including me, even after telling you this, we still get stuck in ruts thinking that we should do something a certain way to improve ourselves, to feel better. And that's just not the case. You know, for instance, I like taking walks. And usually when I take a walk, it helps just relax my mind and body and just kind of go with, you know, it helps me get into the flow. If I've had like a long day, you know, I woke up early and, you know, been with my daughter and been working on the phone and, you know, making a call to the plumber or whatever, all, you know, if there's a lot going on, if I take a walk, 
at the end of the day or in the middle of the day, there's a good chance it's going to kind of smooth me out. But you know what? Some days it doesn't. Sometimes it makes me feel more stressed when I go on a walk. And it's like that for everything. You know, that's, that's a metaphor, as they say. So. Yeah, and, it, and it's about that self-experimentation process and not getting hung up on, you know, a sage on a stage and, and clinging right. to their every words. Because something Alex and I joked about probably around the time you guys talked is like anytime there's a guru, he's going to want to bang your wife. It's just like right. you, as soon as you get involved with that, like, and that's why cults seem to be so prolific. I don't know. We had a, a guest on recently, Brian Holtzman, comedian, and this was one of his points is like, people have a void that they want to fill inside of them. So things like cults are appealing to people. And I think, you know, at the heart of what he was saying, I interpret it as like, yeah, everybody is wondering who they are, what they're doing here, why they're here. Those big spiritual questions are huge, but our culture doesn't give us the framework for it. And then when you do go outside of our culture to find it or outside of, you know, the traditional routes, it's, there's a lot of pitfalls and traps that you can get stuck in, right? It's not perfect. And personally, yeah. I've gone through, you know, Alan Watts teachings. I looked through Alistair Crowley, The Secret, The Law of Attraction with Esther Hicks, you know, all of these things that I've done in my life. And the other day I was starting to like describe this to somebody. I'm like, is this just me becoming a lunatic? Like, is that what's happening? Like I'm just, you know, getting so far fetched with these types of, you know, neuro linguistic programming, I guess would be the smart way to put it. But if you, you know, get unchecked with that. I feel like there is a, you know, you can get lost in all that. Like just thinking that affirmations are going to solve all your problems or, or thinking that all you need to do is just feel a certain way and things will line up for you. It's like, yeah, things can line up for you if you're in the right feeling. But at the end of the day, if you're not doing something like going out and taking a walk and balancing out your body and doing what your body was designed to do, which is move, you know, then you're going to start to feel these blockages, not only in your body, but in your mental and spiritual life. So it sounds to me like what I'm getting from, you know, your from talking to you is, is that it's a real simple way out of feeling in that rut. Yeah. I mean, th the key I would say for people is just, you want to focus on feeling good. Like if you don't feel good a lot of the time, something is off. There's a blockage, like you just said, Mark. I mean, that's the thing that people don't realize when they get, they go down these wormholes, whether it's a spiritual wormhole, a conspiracy wormhole, or a law of attraction wormhole, whatever. You know, when I was on Sam's podcast, I, I was talking to him about action, you know, because that's what we miss is like if, when you actually do something as you just referenced when you do something whether it's take a walk or just take action if you consistently do something that is going to bring you to the solution that you want much faster as opposed to just like reading about the theory behind neurolinguistics or doing affirmations all day long. I mean, that's just like, when, again, when you think about a big picture, that seems kind of crazy. Because again, it, it, that's not how as a species we were like uh, meant to be, you know, we were meant to fucking move around some, you know what I mean? We were meant to do stuff, 
you know, and it's like, it's the, the doing can be subtle. And the, a lot of the doing can just be like, can just be inner work. If you can access a feeling consistently, I do believe if you can access a feeling consistently, it will change all facets of your life. But it's going to be a heck of a lot easier to access that feeling consistently if you do things, you know, not if you're in the freaking, you know, your bedroom all day reciting affirmations. Good luck with that. You know, I mean, it's just, it doesn't work like that. Like be normal, you know, like be normal and at the same time, know about all this far out stuff as options. I mean, that is really a, a wonderful mix, you know, like to, to know that you have all these crazy, incredible mind bending modalities and routes that you can implement into your normal day to day life and yeah. they will help you feel better, you know? Now I'm going to do some jujitsu here because I feel like maybe you're not seeing this coming, but I'm thinking of a, a quote right now. It is not a measure of health to be profoundly or to be adjust, well adjusted to a profoundly sick society, right? So what, what do you make of being normal in a world that isn't natural? I mean, we're not living within mm -hmm. our natural rhythm. I mean, even down to the calendar, the time system that we measure our days in is off. The ratio is completely off with the natural rhythm. So how do you be normal in such a irregular time i would ask when were things ever normal <laughs> yeah i mean the abnormality is has always at least probably been there since the dawn of civilization perhaps i don't know like i, I don't know enough about history to delve deep into that but i will say you're going to be more far out than just about anybody you know, and you can still be semi-normal. You know, if you're not going to be semi-normal, then you really can go all the way with it. And, you know, you shouldn't be interacting with many people or like, you know, we shouldn't be on a podcast or writing books or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like normalcy, there's degrees of normalcy. And most people that I see and that I work with are trying to be more far out than they really are. It's like a put on because, you know, society has a lot, despite its obvious flaws and negative aspects, there's a lot that our culture and society has to offer us. And by that, I mean, food, shelter, clothing, generally speaking, things like that. If you can appreciate the abundance and feel grateful for the, like the overflowing abundance that most of us have, especially here in like, you know, the United States with all its flaws, you know, and in most parts of the world, quite frankly, there's an incredible amount of abundance despite its flaws. That's what I mean by being normal. I also mean being normal in the sense of like, you know how to interact with people. You know how to like, you know, if someone smiles at you, you know how to smile back at them. You know, like if there's an old person, you know, who's not sitting down and you're sitting down, you offer them your seat. Like, you know how to like, talk to kids, you know, and not be weird. Like, you know, how to talk to the opposite sex or the same sex or whatever, and not be weird. Just don't be weird. You know, that's what I mean by being normal, right? I was being more delicate than don't be weird, but like, don't, like it, it's the same thing. Yeah. Well, and I guess maybe this is the kind of the overthinking and the paranoia, but we talk to guys like Jay Dyer who look at some of the symbolism in movies. I've talked to guys like Chris Knowles who look at the symbolism in music. And it's very clear that, you know, pop culture at the very least 
has certain psychological narratives or psychological forces at work that I don't believe lead to a healthy lifestyle. I mean, no, it's lack, know, man. I mean, there's yeah. so, I mean, there's, you know, you, you can, you guys go much more in depth in this than I do, but for me, you know, to simplify it, I just, they are showing you lack, mm. you know, and that's like, there's a huge, huge, huge flaws with our education system, you know, in, in the sense of the stuff that is promoted and, you know, seen as being good and just popular culture, movies, television, whatever. It's just crazy. Like, you know, like I studied film and so I used to watch a lot of movies. Now I hardly ever watch movies, you know, and like, I, I know about movies. I don't say that proudly, like, but like, you know, I, there's a lot of great movies out there, but like, I have trouble now, you know, my wife likes to turn on Netflix and, you know, watch stuff, watch shows and like, it's like so fucking violent, a lot of it, for instance, you know, and it's, or, or like deviant in like an obvious way, if you have any common sense, you know, like, yeah. or if you just separate yourself from it, even like, uh, you know, by a few feet, you know, it's like, oh my God, or it's so commercialized. Like, you know, I used to like watching sports a lot, like, but like, I hardly watch sports anymore be, just because it's all just commercialized shit. And it's so obvious if you even just get like, a foot away from it. Yeah. Well, and the word you hit on there is lack. And that is one of the things that I, you know, really appreciate, even though you can get too far fetched on the law of attraction route and Esther Hicks and that kind of stuff can be a little wacky. I, that stuck with me my whole life is like that concept of like, there's a way to think from a position of abundance and there's a way to think from a position of lacking things. And so many people in my life, who talk to me and, and wonder why I have a positive disposition most of the day, it comes down to that. And I try to point that out in a really simple way. Most of the time, like, Hey, like think about the questions you're asking yourself or, or like tell, think about what you just said to me when you opened up this conversation and how you complained about this, that, and this, I mean, that's a position of lack. And so many people don't even realize that they're exactly. in that position, but you know, bringing it back to like, my family thinks I'm crazy. And like, I want to have a healthy relationship, you know, with the significant other, and I want to have healthy relationships with my family and my friends. So even though I'm in the same boat as you, like, I don't watch sports, I don't watch movies, because I feel the, the what's off about it. And it's, how do we be playful and, and not so serious when it comes to that? Because that's why people watch that stuff is they think they're being entertained and all that. And they don't really go past the surface level, which, you know, maybe that's just their path in life. But, you know, how do we be playful despite those things that can kind of make you feel cynical sometimes? I think what a very practical way of doing it is to know that there are so many people and there's so there's such a wealth of good information, like you know, I'm going to say spiritual information. You could say self help information or self improvement information. There are so many good resources that are just spiritually uplifting, you know. Like, and again, this is why I got into the law of attraction when I was in my 30s, and I never thought I would be because, like, I found. You know, you know, I'll just peel off if some of your listeners probably never heard of these people before. You know, Emil Kuei, H. Emily Cady, Florence Scovel Shin, Neville Goddard, Joseph Murphy. Those are just a couple of the older New Thought Law of Attraction authors. You can, 
immerse yourself in teachings like that. And there's so many others, not just in law of attraction, obviously in any, any genuine spiritual teacher, Byron Katie, we already mentioned, for instance, if you immerse yourself in that genuinely, not in the greatest secret way, but just instead of watching TV or sports, if you are reading or listening to that, that's a way to keep yourself grounded. And also in my opinion, and I've always thought this, and it's just been confirmed more and more of the years as the years have gone on. Most people are good. Most people are good people, but we're fed horseshit every day in terms of culture, in terms of lack. I mean, I'm a, again, I couldn't agree with you more. Lack is like, we, we can get rid of all the spiritual mumbo jumbo language with the law of attraction. Usually lack resistance like those are good words because that's what we're really working through is how do we work through that to harmony and peace with with each other and so most people are good in my opinion and it's about bringing out the good in them so they can recognize that more for themselves and the best way to do that don't judge them you know to the best of your and it's okay to judge them so don't get me wrong we all judge everybody i've been judging a ton of people throughout this podcast right with what i've been saying but you know think about the the golden rule and think about you know remember you know what how you judge somebody if you're judging your relatives or your coworkers a certain way day after day and it's negative that's a lot of bad energy there. And I don't mean that in any metaphysical way. I just mean that like, there's a lot of bad energy there. And if you treat them more consistently, well, you're going to see a change. That's the law of attraction in, in, in real life, you know? Yeah. And, and sometimes it's a matter of maybe finding other people that are positive too. Cause it could be like a, a war if you're on that, you know, negative and you bring the negativity to the table, but everybody else at your workplace does that too. But the thing is you just rise above it. Okay. That's the best way. Yeah. It, it, listen, there's the best way. A lot of the time is don't get involved. You know, I've got a new book coming out called the law of attraction simplified. You can guess what that's about, but I just talk about the best way usually for inner, for like work stuff or, dealing with people is avoid it right like for instance like if there's like a if you have like a, a friend's text chain where your friends are texting and being negative a lot of the time just don't respond to that text chain for instance you know or if you have co-workers who are negative don't interact with them to the best of your abilities and if you have to limit that interaction and be as neutral or slightly positive as you can be. If you become non-reactive to the situation, the situation will, will modify itself just because you aren't putting as much energy into it. So they can bring a bunch of shit to you, but we can lessen our load and, you know, it just makes things easier. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. That's, yeah, that's something I need to remind myself. And, you know, the title of the show, My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, it comes from a place of like learning about this stuff that's improved my life and wanting to share that with others. But a lot of the times people aren't there, you know, they're not on that same right. point in their path or whatever you're saying, that's not their vibe, you know? So I've run into that and really podcasting has offered me, you know, access to people that I vibe with. And that's really what's 
you know, boosted me up over the past few months and really made me feel like I found something that I was looking for previously, you know, because now I'm meeting people who understand the same things I do. And yeah, you know, oh, oh, echo chamber, but there's a lot of disagreements there too. So it's not really just like, I want to be amongst people who agree with me. It's more like, sometimes you just got to find people who get you, you know, and I think that's, that's a part of, you know, feeling good, but we're part of the whole, right? So coming back to it all, you know, you have to be able to not be reactive, still participate, not just withdraw. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, generally speaking. Yeah. I feel like what I said kind of gave the impression that I, you know, would rather just like quit a job where people were negative rather right. than what you you know, provided, which is a better solution, I think, to just be neutral or, or at the very least, you know, not react. Right. Um, I mean, it's definitely like one thing that's difficult for people when they get into anything that's alternative. Let's just talk, say it's alternative spirituality, lump it all together with that. I know conspiracy theories are a little bit different, but still it's the same gist. What's difficult is in your day-to-day life, there's not going to be you know, when we're over media, like podcasts or, you know, in groups online, we can talk to people who have the same interests, but probably very few of our friends, let alone our family members or our coworkers are going to, you know, care. They're going to think we're crazy. You know, that's, you know, that's exactly the title of, of your show. Why? I mean, that's right on. There's very few people. I mean, for me, it's gotten to the point now, there's very few people in my life who even know what the hell I do. Okay that I actually interact with really, I mean, seriously, like there's not, they know I write about alternative health or alternative stress management, but obviously that's not really what I do. I mean, and it's because I realized when I was younger, I used to love sharing ideas with people, my friends and, you know, coworkers. And I realized in retrospect, that was just a waste of time. You know, you're not going to get a lot of support from people directly in your life. Usually when you get really into something like this, you know, Jesus couldn't do miracles in his hometown. You know, there's that, there's a reason for that. That's not to say you can't have some friends or, you know, loved ones who are into this in the same way, but it's rare. So I always like to remind people of that. And again, like you said, Mark, like the support systems online, you know, via podcasts or discussion groups or books or whatever can be so helpful. Cause it's like, Oh yeah, I'm not crazy. You know? And I will say like, just to throw something out there. Like I remember when I went to live at a Zen center after college, it was really weird. Cause I'd been, you know, I'd been to retreats before and been in settings that were Zen centric before, but it was bizarre to be at a Zen center and living in a Zen center where there's like 15 people of us there, only, only 15 of us. But to be at a place where everybody was really into like the same thing, this weird thing that like you never had hung out with anyone else in your life, like that was really into it. And like everybody there was into it and you're living with them day after day. Right. It was bizarre and it wasn't necessarily a great thing. Mm, It wasn't a bad thing. I mean, you'd certainly learn from that. And again, I'm very appreciative of that experience and of that place. But it's like when you, because then there's this other echo chamber, like you get into this thing where it was, again, I mentioned the Byron Katie event. It it becomes, 
you get to the sage on the stage, even if there's no sage and there's no stage, it gets to that groupthink thing. See, for me, I think it comes back to groupthink so quickly and not in like a conspiracial way, like, but, but just in like a people, the reason that cults will probably always exist is because charisma and individual charisma, people are drawn to that, right? To the definitiveness of that. And that is because people want to be led. They don't want to do the leading themselves. You know, they don't want to lead their own lives. And that's ultimately what this is about. And on a practical level, all the time is doing your own life and taking responsibility, more responsibility for how you live day to day. Yeah. Yeah, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, this is this is exactly what I expected to feel like afterwards, inspired and, you know, a lot of great thoughts too. Well, thank you. More. Listen, it's it's always so nice to talk to to people like you who are genuinely interested in just going deep. You know what I'm saying? Because that's you. what that's what's fun, you know? And it, it's it's again, it's one of these things where I'm irreverent and I hope I don't come across as being too negative about established spiritual stuff because there's so much value to be found and like sometimes when you get into conspiracy or you know just an irreverent approach to spirituality again people think it's like oh man like you know you're just being too negative towards everything it's like no we're, we're being we're making criticisms for a point to point out something deeper that's there that you can work with that will help you and that is positive you know so yeah we can see the abundance within that lack yeah Absolutely. So to end it on a real practical note, I talked to you earlier about at the beginning of this before we recorded about feeling like there are ways I could be less serious and have more fun. Do you have maybe like something, some advice, some steps I could take to get into that fun more often when I feel like I'm being serious? Yeah. I mean, you know, I've mentioned this to Alex, obviously the joy of not thinking that book has a lot of practical steps in it. And I have an old video series from like 10 years ago called Stop Being Serious. Just go to www.stopbeingserious.com. There's just a free two-hour seminar on there. When you feel serious, if you want to get out of your head, I mean, the best thing to do if you're alone is just to act goofy, like to, to playfully move around and really get 100% into something physically. Do it. As we talked about the action of doing, moving, that usually will help you become less serious very quickly. Another one of my favorite things, practical, talk out loud, start using your voice, speak out loud to yourself. When you speak out loud to yourself, your inner critic, your serious critic in your head, it can't compete with that out loud self-talk. So the out loud self-talk becomes the director as opposed to that inner meddlesome voice being the director. And uh, yeah, if you speak out loud to yourself, even for just a few minutes, and it can be loud, it can be irreverent, it can be whatever, that's a very good way to become less serious quickly. Yeah. You know? And just yeah. also like listening to music you like, stuff like that. Like, you know, like doing just little things like that, common sense stuff, you know? Yeah, no. And really for me, it's more like conversation because I get into conversations with people who are like, oh, wow, you know, you're smart and you, you have all these things to say. So the conversations come naturally for me, but I do feel like there's like an edge to it all the time. And I wish I could be more fun instead of just getting into the deep stuff all the time. But you did make a good point. Sometimes talking about the deep stuff is fun. So it just depends on the audience. 
the, the person you're talking to. Like, yeah. so for me, like to give an example that might be illustrative, like I'll have a conversation where I might start off, you know, how's the weather, but then like I'll, I'll, I'll throw a carrot out there. That's a fucking weird carrot, you know, like a, a, a deep, a deep carrot. And I'll see if they'll take it. And off, often someone will take a little carrot. They'll be interested in something. And then you'll talk for a little bit and then I'll throw something else out. And usually, no, that's it. There's no one's going to bite that second carrot, you know? And so then you can just drop it, man. Then we talk about the weather again. That's fine. Whatever. You know, I mean, I was at a cookout the other day with, you know, for my kids preschool and, you know, I started talking to this guy about, you know, deep breathing and like cold water exposure, you know, that was the first carrot. Right. And he was into it, you know, and then I was like, yeah, you know, but like, it's just a way to kind of connect with your being. And it was like, I could tell right away. And I was like, yeah, no, it's, it's a, it's a great to go swimming as much as you can in the morning, you know, just get right back out of it again, you know? So yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. It doesn't matter though. You know, I mean, it doesn't matter. Like there's no need to be deep. If people don't want to be deep, that's fine. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Yeah. That's the good list. If I want to convey one thing here, it's, it, it, it's all good. Mm-hmm. That experience on the beach to bring it back to that. And whenever I've had experiences like that, and that we all have moments like that. It's the realization that you're fine. You don't have to do a damn thing. And I know a lot of people listening say, I've never had a realization like that. Yes, you have. Don't think, don't think, you know? Yeah. Wow. Well, ladies and gentlemen, there's a reason why his book was number one on Amazon in its category. Was it the self-help category, Tim? I, just I, for that one, I don't, I think maybe just uh, first the joy of not thinking just physiological stress management or something like that. Who knows? It's in the Amazon's crazy with other categories, but is yeah. there a better way to buy the book? Cause we don't like to, you know, plug Amazon, but if that's there's the not, one, I mean, people, you know, if, if people want to go to my website, radicalcounselor.com, I try to provide, I've been doing it better lately. I've been trying to, I provide newsletter updates and insights like every week or two. And, you know, you can get my books usually at discount there. If you want to get my new book at discount or perhaps even free, you can, you can check the, check out radicalcounselor.com. Awesome. So yeah, go to radicalcounselor.com. You got a new book on the way law of attraction simplified. Is there any other books that people should check out besides the first one, the joy of not thinking a radical approach to happiness? Cause that's something I'm going to be buying after this conversation is over. I'll tell you the, that. The joy of not thinking really summits what we were talking about. Another book that a lot of people like is called relax more, try less. Okay. Uh, and that's if you are into the law of attraction at all, or want to get into it and want a practical approach. I talk, that book's very, it's kind of like the joy of not thinking. And I, I talk about a great teacher in it named, named Neville Goddard, who's now more popular than he used to be, but relax more, try less. Again, the title is kind of a dead giveaway about what, it, what, what, it, what the contents are. So, yeah. Yeah. And that'll all be in the description folks. Even those names that you mentioned, the five uh, law of attraction yeah. teachers, I'm going to go back and get those names. Uh, I might reach out to you for the spelling, but oh, yeah. transcripts. Shoot, I don't even know how to spell out. most of that. You know what I mean? So. I'll figure it out. I'll figure <laughs> it out. All right. Thank you so much for Thank you, Mark. Yes. Yeah, so so fun to to be here with you. Have a have a wonderful rest of the eve. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for listening to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast, folks, and have a good Mark is bananas. Crazy. Okay, this guy's losing his mind. I don't listen crazy to him. For feeling so lonely. 
Follow us on Patreon.com slash M-F-T-I-C. That's Patreon.com slash M-F-T-I-C. Yeah.